Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, ITV looks to swoop in on all three media. We discuss what this could do for the broadcaster. Also on the show, HBO is selling its titles to rival Netflix. But why and what does it mean for the streamers? All that plus a bit of Boris chat, Channel 4 in the doldrums, the BBC benches, female newscasters and in the media quiz, uh, we learn who is off and on. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Russia is reviewing the US government's request for access to Wall Street Journal reporter Ivan Gershkovich, uh, the US national who's been detained since March on spying charges and could face 20 years if convicted. Uh, Wimbledon is to debut AI-powered commentary in its coverage this year. IBM and the All England Club have joined forces to create content for the tournament's official app and website using AI systems that have been trained in the unique language of tennis. Uh, well, here's what happened when they had a go at golf commentary. Substraka, 28 years old from Austria, is going to hit from the pine straw on hole one. He took stroke two, and the ball traveled 162 yards into the green side. Wow, something that makes me want to listen to golf even less. And talking about monotonous sounding audio delivery, the Sussexes and Spotify have mutually agreed to part ways. Harry and Meghan reportedly want a new home for their audio endeavors, but after delivering one 12-episode series since signing a $20 million deal in 2020, it's thought that Spotify expected a little more content. Now, joining me from the beating heart of Hoburn here at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back media journalist and Deadlines International Investigations editor, Jake Cantor. Hi, Jake. Hi. Hi. Um, so you've been keeping an eye on what's happening at Channel 4, and we've been talking a bit about it on the show. What What's going on there? There seems to be a lot of strange things happening in that building. Yeah, I've heard you bubbling away on it here, <laughs> and um, it's just been something that has sort of dominated our reporting for a couple of weeks. Um you know, Channel 4, to put it bluntly, is in a bit of financial bother. Uh, the ad market has cratered and uh, instead of Channel 4 sucking up some of that pain, maybe dipping into its credit facility that it has, mm. uh, it's decided to pass that pain on to producers. And it's doing that through cancelling shows, delaying shows, asking uh, producers to bankroll programmes. Uh, and just generally not really communicating in a way that producers has, feel has been effective. And so there's a lot of grumpiness about I mean, producers 4. always complain about Channel 4. They do. That and, is fair. And, they feel like they have a sense of ownership over yes. Channel 4 in a way that they don't other broadcasters. And I think that's a very fair point. But I think in my time covering Channel 4, which has you know, been 12 years, I think this is probably some of the grumpiest noises that mm. I've been hearing. And I think it's all been compounded by the fact that 
uh, Channel 4's top executives are going to be pocketing uh, close to record pay. Um, they have deferred their loyalty bonuses, which is part of the privatisation debate, but that, that's a key word, deferred it. Mm. They have not decided to reject it, which they could have done. And uh, Channel 4's explanation for this is it's all cyclical and the ad market will recover. But if you look closely at the figures, Channel 4 is being impacted more than other broadcasters and its ratings are uh, worse than other broadcasters. Well, didn't Ian Katz say last week, don't worry, it's, it's all going to be fine, it's all going to get back to normal? He did. And that may be true. Yeah. But I think they're perhaps not telling the full picture. I mean, last month in May, they had their worst ratings in their 40-year history. Other broadcasters are experiencing lows, mm. but nowhere near that low. Is that, is that main channel? That's main issue? channel. Yeah. And if you look at some of the longer-term trends, um, so someone sent me a chart of Channel 4's top 10 shows for the past year. None of them have been originated by the current regime, right. which I think is really problematic. So we've got a goggle box from the past. Yeah, and goggle like box. Shows like uh, Dairy Girls and Bake Off. And, you know, for Channel 4 to have no new hits mm. within that list is really problematic. Uh, and returning to the pod, we have Press Gazette, Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Matt. Uh, so, uh, Boris, uh, obviously he's like you a journalist that's what he's obviously now best best known for uh, because he signed up uh, to the daily mail to become a, a columnist uh, unsurprisingly he shouldn't have uh, and he's already been told off for it um do you think he's going to have an agenda as a journalist oh i mean i think he always has an agenda doesn't he but um i loved the reaction to his first column basically comparing him to adrian Childs <laughs> in the guardian because his first column's about this weight loss drug which in itself is quite funny because there was a spate of stories around that drug like a couple of months ago. Mm. Um, people like David Aranovich when he was at the Times did features like they obviously had a big PR push and then Boris has kind of come to it a couple of months late and that was his first major column for the Mail. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of fresh stuff he brings next time. Yeah, reading it, it did seem like if I'd put into chat GPT, please write an article <laughs> in the style of Boris Johnson about Azempic, this drug. That's what it would generate. Maybe that just means he's a good writer in that he has a brand you understand straight away. I mean, I suppose one of the reasons he's always been kind of successful is he has this tone of voice that certain people really get on mm. with and he doesn't talk really like intellectually, you know, like a lot of writers would. So I guess that style works and that's kind of you can picture like his speaking voice, can't you? And and that's a style he would use in the mail and... So I can I can picture why it works, but um, yeah, I'm looking for. Uh, I don't know when he'll get into the actual politics of it. Do you, do you think this is what the mail thought they were buying <laughs> when they when they spent quite a lot of money? We we imagine for this for this. Yeah, you economy. would assume. Was um, there a bidding war at all? Not that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, I mean, I think people would have assumed maybe if they were going to guess that he'd go to the Telegraph, but I think they've been a bit, because obviously he worked there before mm. as a columnist, but I think the Telegraph's been a bit more critical of him in the past couple of years, So uh, and the Mail less so, so it does make sense in recent context. I mean, if you want to reach the most people, that's the, that's the paper to go on, isn't it? I mean, yeah, still like up there best-selling sort of Mail in the Sun are up there and obviously online. Mail online is kind of the, mm. the mammoth behemoth, again, alongside the sun. So, um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense for him. Well, completely, he's still going to be read by 
all these people he's still going to get lots of attention and attention is the most important thing is it with Mr Johnson uh, okay story number one uh, ITV have confirmed reports that it is going to be bidding for all three media it's claimed the broadcaster hopes to merge the Super Indie with ITV Studios in an estimated £1 billion deal that's if both Warner Brothers Discovery and Liberty Global sell their stake so Jake why has this deal come now? well it's not a deal yet to yes. be fair um, but well, why is it on the block? Well, uh, there's there's a few things going on. Um, I think probably one of the major contributing factors is the fact that Warner Brothers Discovery is assessing its portfolio and whether it needs to be in it needs to have its fingers in quite so many pies. And I think all three media is probably a fairly healthy asset that it could flog for a reasonable price. Liberty Global has always been a bit of an odd owner of uh, all three media. It is a cable business it is not a content business Mm -hmm. and uh therefore it makes sense potentially for them to exit i think all three media is you know a a fantastic asset they produce some of the best shows on british television and internationally as well uh the most notable recently being the traitors which has been a huge hit for the bbc and for uh peacock in the us and that is made by studio lambert i mean this would be a really big deal i don't think itv would have said anything to its shareholders unless there was real substance to this um whether it is going to be the only party that is interested i i seriously doubt i think there will be uh serious interest from other potential buyers um the likes of Banerjee, which uh, acquired endemol shine a few years ago for about two billion dollars um Fremantle, which is uh, a brand that's associated with the likes of america's got talent mm. but it's got talent the x factor they have extremely stretching revenue goals uh, set by their company RTL. RTL's got relatively deep pockets. They may be looking at all three as well. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if there was interest there. So I don't think there's a clear path to ITV doing this deal without, you know, without some competition. I'm just looking at it. I mean, I, uh, Liberty Global are an investor in ITV as well, aren't they? Yes. I think they might be one of the, the biggest investors. They are. They are the single biggest investor, yeah. I mean, that, that could play to its advantage. ITV, my, my sources have been briefing that they do not think they are going to have regulatory issues. Mm. I, I think this will definitely pique the interest of the, uh, of the CMA and uh, that could be a hurdle to ITV doing this deal. I mean, I think the fact that they would have a huge share of the production sector and the fact that it's a, it's a public service broadcaster, that could create complication for them. I mean, they have acquired lots of production companies over the last 10 years, haven't they? Mm. I mean, they, they have. I mean, it's a it's a huge business. ITV Studios is a genuinely global production powerhouse. And when you think of ITV, you don't necessarily mm. think about it in those terms. And I think this would only further enhance that. Uh, you know, ITV Studios accounts for more than half of ITV's revenue. So um, are they in the studio's business and, and merely a broadcaster on the well, side? That That is increasingly the case, I think. One of Carolyn McCall's big initiatives at ITV is to try and uh, shore up its uh, streaming uh, service, which is, you know, was ITV Hub, is now ITVX. Um, that's her big strategy. Adam Crozier, the former chief executive, he was the one who was buying in a big way for ITV Studios. And this would be this would be a sort of return to that. I think the last big deal they did was Talpa. Mm. which owns The Voice, uh, and they paid a, you know, a good chunk of change for Talpa, but, but all, three media, all three media will be more expensive. That was the second production company that John DeMolle 
salt, yes. wasn't it? Yes, after Endemol. Yeah, he's, yeah. Done, he's done very well out of, out of uh, yeah, big I mean, broadcasters you know, coming into this space. He's not short of a few bob. And we might be seeing a similar thing in the newspaper market. Uh, obviously, the Telegraph seemingly is up for sale at the moment, and the Spectator too. Uh, uh, being vertically integrated, a uh, lot of discussion about whether that will go to the mail group uh, or whether you know, Rupert will put his hand in his pocket to buy the, buy the spectator. We're going to probably see some more consolidation in newspapers too. Yeah, um, that is quite a trend in sort of publishing media, definitely. Um, another person who's been mooted is Paul Marshall, who's um, sort of the major investor in GB News, mm. which I can completely see because obviously at GB News it's kind of an ideological thing it's like definitely reason. not a money making operation no I mean not yet There's, they've got ambitions we've all, we've all got ambitions <laughs> but um, yeah so that fully wouldn't surprise me if maybe he went he got the telegraph and then yeah Rupert Murdoch might want a side product in the spectator but I I I mean, I don't want to say anything that I'm going to um, be famous last words on, but I'd be surprised if um, the mail group got it because mm. just because of the amount of the newspaper market, it would end up meaning they got, I'd be surprised if the CMA allowed it. Because um, if you think of how much then would be in the hands of Reach, DMGT, News UK, you know, like mm. that's that's a lot in the hands of just a couple of people. But a lot of kind of smaller level consolidation is going on. Um, we're seeing it a lot with kind of B2B media brands and magazine publishers and things like that. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess all we can say is watch the space it'd, it'd on the Telegraph. Paul Marshall does go in. Really I mean, it makes it a sort of Tory yeah. powerhouse, doesn't it? Does. It gives, I mean, a, lot, I think gives they, a lot of control to sort of uh, drag the, the Tories wherever he wants them to be. Yes, I think... One of the things that when you speak to people at GB News and um, yeah they 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 you know they're very confident in their position but if there's anything that they look over enviously at with Talk TV it's the fact that Talk TV can amplify its messaging and its mm. interviews and all the rest of it across um, the newspapers in the Sun and the Times and you know of course the radio stations that uh, News UK owns and if they were to try and replicate that model that would be really fascinating. And in the Telegraph, they'd have an agenda-setting newspaper to do that in as well. Well, the other one that's up for sale at the moment uh, and looking like it's just been bought is Vice. Uh, and um, they might be another trophy for for Abu Dhabi's investments. Isn't that right, Jake? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, all the reporting today, this is Thursday, is that Fortress Investment Group is going to buy out of bankruptcy ev- effectively. Uh, it's the only bid that's deemed to have qualified for... Uh, Fortress is owned uh, by Mubadala uh, Capital, which is effectively owned by the uh, Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Uh, so you're going to have this situation where Vice, this sort of freewheeling, uh, you know, punkish, you know, no, we don't care what anyone thinks of us, uh, media brand being owned by a state which has got a track record of censoring free speech and uh, media freedoms. And I'm not sure that necessarily sits particularly mm. well. Uh, yes, yeah, not not good news for Vice, and already in a, a perilous state at the moment. Uh, perhaps doesn't bode well for the future. Well, um, Fortress also owns Majestic Wine, so oh, well, they yeah, might oh. get some booze out of it. Yes, that's not so bad. <laughs> um, I mean, other other corporate machinations uh, over at Warner Brothers Discovery uh, is the fact they might be selling some of their HBO titles to Netflix. Uh, so when we talked about the streamers a couple of years ago, we were saying, you know, it's the balkanisation of television. Everybody's got to own their own content, not let it, let it go anywhere. Uh, but suddenly a bit of a credit crunch 
and uh, the world seems to have changed. Uh, I mean, Jake, what's what's what have they been saying? Well, they're not saying anything. Deadline reported this. My colleague Peter White. It's a great story. It's a, a bit of a, a bit of a shocker um, because this sort of thing just doesn't happen very often. But what it is indicative of is the fact that you've got companies like Warner Brothers and and possibly even Netflix to a, to a, to a certain extent with a you know mountain of content. And some of that library content is just not working hard enough for them. It's not bringing in the subscribers and they need to wring more value out of it. So they're sort of returning to sort of more traditional TV models of licensing content to others effectively and and earning money from it in that way. Uh, A big trend that we're seeing in TV at the moment is is fast channels, Mm. which are effectively uh, linear channels that are ad funded and they are grouped around you know certain genres of tv yeah, or so certain shows so, so like if you, if you go on itv yeah. you can watch hell's kitchen yeah tv hell's kitchen tv you can back. you can watch a whole schedule full of gordon ramsay swearing mm. um and that is just another way that uh content owners are trying to get as many eyeballs to their shows as possible and and ring the most value out of them possible. I mean, also, Charlotte, there's a bit about marketing, isn't there? Because sometimes if your shows are sort of trapped in your own environment, you never reach any any new consumers. And I sort of think back to, to Breaking Bad, where actually its appearance on Netflix reinvigorated its its cable ratings in, in, in its final few seasons. Yeah, and you even sometimes see it with stuff that maybe started on the BBC and then goes to Netflix and then either more people here notice it or like maybe in America they notice it and then as you say it gets a whole new lease of life I mean it just makes sense because there's so many my view on it was just there's so many streamers now and obviously we know that a lot of them are struggling to grow consumers and grow revenues because there isn't an infinite ceiling and there's a lot of competition now and there's a cost of living crisis etc so um you can't just be sort of sitting there in a little silo with your own little walled garden and say well people aren't coming to us why um if they're reaching out and trying to get new people and they might think oh that was good hbo content but i'm watching it on netflix i wonder what else you know it completely um they've got to try something like this or or they'll just they won't see any growth i mean sometimes jake i think because we know what's been made by who and and what channel it's on uh we think about this more whereas consumers don't really know where anything is and where it's come from and when it disappears off a service and reappears somewhere else they're not they don't even know about that either do they i think that's definitely true there is one exception to that okay i think and that is funnily enough warner brothers Hmm. uh, which uh, obviously owns hbo and you know HBO, I think, is synonymous with Sky over here, and I think if you if you know if you want to watch HBO content, you know you've got to subscribe mm. to Sky. Well, you have to yeah. for the next two years. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, all the talk is that that deal may may continue in some form. I'm sure it's very <laughs> it makes a lot of money for for HBO. I mean, two years ago you'd say, well, that deal will clearly come to an end, and they'll want to launch HBO. Sorry, they want to launch Max. Yes. Here, here, uh, here, Keep here, that in <laughs> here in the UK. Um, but maybe not. Maybe they'll be happy just taking yeah. Sky's Comcast money. I think so. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see a situation in which they are able to uh, lure in enough subscribers to equal up the money that they're getting from Sky and we are seeing some you know some of the deals within the deal I, I, we could get technical here so um, if there's one Sky, place to get yeah. details it's, <laughs> so it's Sky here. so House of the Dragon okay um, Sky has got lifetime 
uh, access to House of the Dragon. So even if the HBO deal expires in a couple of years, House of the Dragon will still be available on Sky. Those dragons ain't leaving House uh, of Yes. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, that, that, that does... I mean, it's, it complicates it so much if you want to launch, especially a, a, a cross-continent plan, and because they, they've got Max running in in the Nordics as well, haven't they? Uh, and then you've got Sky and what they do in the UK versus Germany. Um, I mean, there, there is no rhyme or reason at the moment. It is shake it up and see what happens. Yeah, it's it's a, it's really a market by market basis, and what we saw a couple of years ago, as you said, where you know you want to roll out your streaming service everywhere possible and build it up. I just don't think that's the, the the environment now. I mean, Sky was looking pretty precarious, I thought, with the rise of all these streaming services. Um, but actually, now maybe it will be okay after all, and that these people do want to do do want to do those deals. Maybe I think Sky is a really solid business, but there has not been significant growth. In fact, there has been no growth at Sky for the last five years. Um, and there, there, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Sky are in any trouble, but it's not been the cash cow, the big growth machine that Comcast wanted when they first bought it in 2018. The big hope with Sky is Sky Studios and they want mm. to you know, make sure that they are creating content on a scale of HBO. And I think if there's any way that they're going to grow the number of subscribers, that, that's, that's the way, that's the route to it. Uh, okay, on now to this week's deep dive. Recently, I sat down with the new Europeans editor, Matt Kelly, and columnist Matthew Dancona to discuss the launch of their new current affairs podcast, The Two Mats. Great name. Uh, and along the way, uh, we discuss how the magazine's doing and who might buy The Spectator and Telegraph. Uh, but first, the podcast. Here's editor Matt Kelly on why they've started The Two Mats. For me, the main part is to bring people a greater awareness of the new European, which mm. is still the title's number one challenge. You know, even though we are succeeding, we are growing, we'll be profitable as a business by the end of the year, uh, 95% of the people don't have a clue that we yes. even exist. You know, and probably 95% of our target audience don't know we exist. So people, uh, if they come to listen in a, you know, it's a nice, easy medium of podcasts mm. to listen to. I think it's probably the easiest medium to communicate something. And very low barriers to entry to listen exactly. to that play button. I, exactly. And so people come and find out and think, you know, the European, what's that all about? Uh, then the next thing is I'm going to hit them with an amazing subscription offer they will not be able to refuse. <laughs> That's the idea. Which is so, a hard sell. Uh, Matthew, before this, you were at Tortoise. Yes. And they obviously started with kind of a, a different, they had a plan for how they would tackle news differently, but yes. sort of ended up more as an audio business. They did. And and they do, a, you know, their own, um, you know, specific, very Tortoise specific, again, you know, which is absolutely right, way of uh, approaching stories, which is to do with the slow media mm. concept, i.e. you take a long time to drill deep into a subject so that's a that has a distinctiveness which i think has done very well for them and um you know it's that's that's a a startup working extremely effectively um this is something different of course you know but there's there's plenty of space for all of it i think uh, well if we talk about other media um Clearly, uh, we're coming up to a bit of a, a Brexit anniversary at the moment. Um, tell me that that Genesis story about about the new European. What, what made you want to start up a new newspaper in the UK? Yeah, because it was it was clearly an act of absolute madness at the time. If you think back to that summer of 2016, there was 
two big newspapers that had millions invested in them. One was called New Day by Trinity Mirror, now mm. Reach. And another one was called, I think it was the, tw- was it 24 or something like that? The Newspaper oh, for the North. Right, and yes. actually, that Newspaper for the North idea... It's was, not a bad idea. Well, here, here's our contradiction moment. Mm. I think it was a terrible idea. Why? Because be- the Yorkshire Post Because so I don't good. think there's such a thing as the North. Ah, I okay. think that's a... A construct in in the heads of people that if you know you were, were they going for the red wall before there was the red wall? Well, I think even the red wall. I think you know if you it, take someone from Liverpool and take someone from Scunthorpe mm. and What's tell the them red that wall, they're both the north. <laughs> you know, is that the when when we all sing "You'll Never Walk Alone" before On Stevie wall. G raises the cup? No, the, um, I never go north of Watford. I've no, never introduced football into the conversation. Oh, I've bore on for a long time, but no. So I think. Where what I did think with the the difference between the North as an audience mm. and forty eight percent as an audience was it was very clear everybody knew if you were a, if you were a, fourth, a Remainer you'd voted to stay you were one of the forty eight percent so to say here's the paper for the forty eight percent was a very clear marketing mm. pitch and I thought you know I couldn't think within my lifetime that there'd been such a huge and open goal of a new constituency who were all angry. You knew where they were because you could look at a map of Britain mm. and see where all the Remain vote was. So you, your distribution was was set by all the all the Remain areas. Um, and also, I was working at the time for a company that had distribution and marketing channels, and we could print newspapers. So everything was in place. And it sort of started as a four week pop up, really. Yeah, because I remember the CFO as we were sitting around the table, and everybody. So I was pitching it. Mm. Like, you know, I'd only been there six months, so I was still the blue-eyed boy, you know. I think if I'd have been there 18 months... They had to listen to you. So there was still like, oh, maybe this guy can do something interesting, maybe. <laughs> he was still in the honeymoon suite. <laughs> still in the honeymoon suite. But I could see the CFO hmm. was sitting there thinking, over my dead body. <laughs> Launching, <laughs> Launching new newspapers was not on the a, list. A new national newspaper, yeah. do me a favour. You know, we're trying to do all these local hmm. papers and the magazines and brilliant company for that and loads and loads of brilliant journalists and that game was so hard you could see this guy thinking this is just a massive distraction and some people would say he he was right but the one stroke of genius I had in that meeting was to say we'll call it pop-up publishing and we'll only do it for four issues and by the way if it's succeeding we'll carry it Mm. but obviously we've got that Exit, exit point, you know, yeah. and you could, and literally, this guy's shoulders <laughs> relaxed, and he went, "I think this is a good idea," you know. Yeah, so he goes, "Right, it's all your fault, and we'll stop it and move on." But then, you know, to our credit, nine days later, we had a newspaper. It, I think, it was twenty-seven thousand retailers. So a fortnight mm. after the after the vote and the first issue, two pounds a copy sold nearly forty thousand copies. So suddenly, the CFO was very mm. interested. You know, it was kind of like, <laughs> hang on a minute. So we didn't keep those numbers going. It wasn't Archant's core business, mm. and it never quite got the attention it deserved. But five years afterwards, unfortunately, Archant collapsed and was bought by private equity. Uh, they were going to fire me because mm. I was, you know, one of the top earners. And there was like, I was my name was on a blacklist <laughs> for sure. And I said to them, you know, sell me the new European instead. Mm. I'll take it off your hands. You guys don't know what to do with it. I do. Let me take it away. And we bought it with a consortium of investors, including Mark Thompson, chief executive of the New York Times, mm. had Lionel Barber, the FT editor, Gavin O'Reilly, who's my business partner, who used to run the independent group, um, Ed Williams, who used to do marketing, now the boss at Edelman. So there's some real big hitters who I think... And what, why were they up for it? Because it wasn't just because they were Remainers. No, it, was, it, it wasn't. It was But they, they certainly wouldn't have invested if they were Brexiteers. Mm. But I do think that 
you know, we also had a number of venture capitalists invest who saw it as a primarily a good thing to do, but b a solid investment. And and they were right. Mm-hmm. You know, this year we will go into profitability, which, by the way, for a new newspaper in this day and age, with such a small staff, there's seven or eight of us. You know, it's hard, but we're getting there, and we will be profitable towards the end of this year. 2024 will be materially profitable, then it's, it's a really good business. I mean, Matthew, you've been in a, a selection of different news environments. I have, yeah. Some more traditional, so Telegraph and Spectator, some uh, more digital and startup-y, yeah. Tortoise and, and, and now this. Um, why are, are there all these kind of pop-up, not even pop-up, why are these new news organisations uh, arriving? I was also looking at it in the news movement. They're obviously trying yeah. to do something different as well. I mean, it's always been a hard area to, to make money in. Um, why are people excited about it? Well, personally, I mean, my my journey was um, back to front, really, because, you know, you're supposed to move from kind of <laughs> guerrilla, you know, DIY outfits to uh, stay traditionalism as you age. And I've done exactly the opposite, which is that, you know, what started at the Times, then to the Sunday Telegraph, or as deputy editor, then editing the Spectator. I mean, two things, I suppose. One is that, you know, as Matt was saying about 2016, that was that kind of completed a, a journey. I guess I was already on. Where I, for me, the the big battle wasn't the old concept of left versus right. It was open versus closed. It was nationalism versus internationalism. It, it was populism versus democracy you know it was basic decency versus a readiness to do just about anything and this seemed to me a good moment to kind of get stuck in now aligned with that was I was fast and I'm always fascinated by new technology new technology and it was clear that there were some very interesting things going on in the startup world and, and you're right I did four years at Tortoise which was which was fantastic but um, when you know when Matt approached me, I, I was very, uh, very uh, you know honoured to, to to do it because I think the 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 European is something that I've enjoyed as a punter, but also I think it has it has a place and a growing place in this ecology we've been talking about, mm. um, and uh, you know we hope the podcast will will put rocket boosters onto that. Uh, and obviously, we should talk about the spectators just a little bit. Sure. Um, what do you think a new owner would mean for that magazine, if anything? I think, to be honest, um, my successor, Fraser Nelson, who's been there since I left in 2009, you know, it's been such a success um, that they can really take their pick. Mm. Now, the question I, I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine is whether someone tries to buy The Spectator on its own as a brand. That that might be, you know, if you're mm. Condé or Hearst or someone like that, you might want to do that. Um, but the, the 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 spectator is the jewel in the crown of that group, and um, I think it will it will be absolutely fine. You know, it's always look. I mean, I was. Does it matter who owns it? Does it matter if Murdoch yeah, gets it, or it's a, a well conservative, I mean, you know, person just wants a nice trophy, or a or it's a had many o- it's had many owner. many owners over the years, um, I, and it's survived all sorts of structures of proprietorship. I mean, if Murdoch bought, bought it. My hunch is that he would leave it alone because it's mm. now it now occupies a pretty 
unambiguously conservative position, I don't think that he could quarrel very much. It might be the first title in history that Murdoch's brought in, and he actually brings it a bit more left-wing. It's (laughs) just conceivable. But so I don't. I I was around at the Telegraph in 2004 when there was that huge auction Mm. for the group, uh, which the Barclays triumphed in. But they paid. They had to pay 665 Mm. million to keep the Daily Mail. Bay. Mm. I'm sure the Daily Mail and General Trust will be back in the the battle. I would have thought Axel Springer will be as well, which is that's now that's an interesting prospect, isn't it? Fraser Nelson, you would be I I assume you'll be praying that the Telegraph and the Spectator are decoupled and that it's sold in its own right because it to, to to buy the whole media group is going to be a much bigger enterprise and it'll it'll stop and there might be some like, competition concerns and, and there'll too. be competition mm. concerns but if you decouple the spectator and it's just there as a massive trophy for somebody who is you know even to give murdoch his credit you know he he will invest in the journalism mm. whether it's good journalism yeah. or bad you know that would be the sweet sweetheart for the spectator i would guess but Murdoch couldn't possibly buy the Telegraph as well. Uh, Matt, do you look at something like this and think, hey, that's maybe in my 10-year yeah. future for the Ten for years? The European. I was thinking more like 18 months. <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, look, I, I read um, that the notional price of the Spectator would be, to buy it would be something around 50 to mm. 60 million quid. Mm. And obviously their circulation right now is fivefold mm. ours and they're a seriously profitable media machine. But we're on the right trajectory you know it might not get to those levels under my stewardship but it's got the potential Mm. i have no doubt about it i don't ever sit there we were just talking about arnold schwarzenegger talking (laughs) about making a vision for himself you know and and how and how he said forget your dreams they're nothing you've got to have a vision you know and i have a vision for the new european where it is a big meaningful important influential and profitable magazine well i'm sure the two mats the new podcast would be a big part of that uh, it's available now wherever you get your podcasts uh, thank you both thank You're you welcome. nice to speak to you matthew dancone and matt kelly speaking to me earlier we've linked to the two mats in the show notes and patreon listeners can get an extended listen including behind the scenes gossip about the rest is politics what a sell uh, find out all the details at themediapodcast.com that's themediapodcast.com okay we'll be back with more from charlotte and jake after this Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, Charlotte and Jake are back with me. Time for some news in brief. Five of the BBC's experienced female news broadcasters have been benched since March due to the merger of the UK and international arms of BBC News. I mean, Charlotte, these are experienced uh, newsreaders, journalists over 45 vying for their jobs. Doesn't look great for the, the BBC, does it? Did you just point out that they're all women? And all, yeah, yeah, all women too, yeah. I think that's the crucial part of it. All the, all five older women who have been on the news channel for quite a long time. I mean... You reported this, didn't you, Jake? But more than 100 years between them, like on the BBC, that's a lot of experience. And it was noted, I remember when the um, uh, presenting lineup for the new Merge channel mm. first came out, that a lot of them were from the World News Channel. And then a lot of these experienced BBC News Channel people were like, well, what's happening to them? It wasn't really clear. And now as we're finding out that sort of they don't even know. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a real shame for them because... They're all, I mean, um, Martin Croxall, Gita Guru-Murthy, um, Anita McVeigh, Cassia mm. Madeira and Karen Gianno. Like, they're all, um, like, brilliant broadcasters and I hope that they kind of sort this out and decide what to do with them I if mean, they're going to do something. I mean, Jake, there's an argument. It's a new news channel. They've got a, a new lineup which they needed to, to pick. Um, but it seems strange they haven't resolved what's happening to some of their talent. It's a typically BBC mess, I would say. Uh, you know, get on with doing the thing you want to do without thinking about the con- all, all of the consequences necessarily. Uh, and it's turned into a slightly tricky situation, I think. Um, you've got five very experienced, very talented broadcasters, as you say, who are on the bench doing nothing. And costing uh, the corporation money. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pocketing full salaries. And meanwhile, the BBC is spending money on freelancers to... Mm plug presenting holes and uh, they are also spending money on uh, acting up fees so Mm. existing presenters who wouldn't normally get the kind of exposure that they're getting now on the news channel are getting paid more for that privilege and 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 so they should Um, so not only have you got this this optics with the women being on the bench but you've got the BBC spending money unnecessarily and I anticipate you know uh, Obviously, we've done some reporting on this. It was raised as part of um, a Culture Select Committee hearing last so what, week. So what did the BBC say when this is brought up? The BBC is saying that we don't comment on individuals, <laughs> okay. uh, that uh, we value all of our staff, and you know we don't want to waste money. <laughs> uh, all the right things. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be connected to reality that much. No. I mean, look, it's all a bit messy and um there are there are some vacancies which may be that the presenters are you know so there's 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 seven uh presenter correspondent roles on the news channel and the suggestion is that some of the Mm. five women may end up in those roles so that's some way to a solution the other way is that they may find work for them elsewhere at the bbc and if they don't, then um, there'll be some difficult conversations about redundancies. Well, and as to employment lawyers, it could, it, we're making it, it a lot of money. It could get very, it could get nasty. I think the the tone of what I'm hearing is um, that it could it could become difficult. 
Uh, Acast has released some new technology. It's called Acast Plus Access that allows online publishers uh, to encompass podcasts in their subscription packages. Uh, news outlets can now host their shows on mainstream platforms whilst only allowing access to members. Um, I mean, Charlotte, this is trying to explain it to, to listeners at home. So if you are a subscriber, say, of The Economist and you get access to their website, there might be a button which suddenly activates Spotify to get a secret show. Yes, basically, previously, say you were, yeah, as you say, maybe a tortoise subscriber, but you wanted to listen on Apple Podcasts, there'd be no way to link that up. Mm. So you, you wouldn't be able to listen to like the extra podcast or get the early access without some faffy way. Yes. And basically, that's what it was previously, a faff for your subscribers and for a lot of publishers who are trying to grow subscription strategies that's a real problem and it is something that we've heard from various publishers in um, interviews about podcasts that they're desperate to to take that next step and make the whole process more seamless so I think this sounds like it could solve that problem and be a really positive step forward and hopefully um, help publishers continue to grow that subscription strategy and publishers are definitely trying to improve their bundle, aren't they, for, for what, what you get, particularly now when people are maybe glancing over those direct debits every month. Yeah, definitely. So so the more you can offer, you know, instead of just being a news website, um, say The Telegraph or The Times, for example, if you've got a really good um, portfolio of either members-only podcasts or, as I say, either early access or ad-free, then... Um, that's another really good way in. I mean, um, the New York Times has ended up being a really good example of how bundling works in terms of um, not just news, but yes, audio, but also then games and puzzles. And a lot of other publishers are now looking at that. Um, for example, The Telegraph putting more puzzles into their mm. subscription package and as well. And the Telegraph subscription bundle has been pretty successful for them. Yes. So previously they released their subscription numbers every month until December and they haven't since then actually so um, we're not as up to date as we were but yes um, they've it's been going really well and um, they seem to be on track to meet um, a, a high target of I think it was later this year so um, since they started sort of really focusing on subscriptions over just circulation it does feel like that's made a big difference it's kind of given them purpose i think and they've talked to us about like the metrics they look at to um decide what to do online and and it's not just about clicks mm. and and it seems to be um uh, a positive thing i mean jake for acast i mean they're in an interesting position they're based in ad network so they uh, sell adverts for a lot of podcasts some of those are independent podcasts including this one uh, but also they do a lot of work with big publishers so they sell ads in for the times podcast and for some of news uk's podcasts they launched a sort of uh, publisher alliance the other day i mean is this They've got to be slightly worried that these publishers could take some of this advertising in-house. Is this just another product to basically keep them in the ACAST tent? Uh, I mean, look, I'm not particularly familiar with ACAST as a mm. business model, I have to say. Um, all of that sounds very sensible. Uh, I think, what what do you want if you're, if you're an operator like ACAST? You want people on your platform as much as mm. possible, don't you? So they're doing deals with, with publishers in this sense, are they? Yeah, I mean, they obviously sell all the ad space yeah. for some of those for some of those newspapers and magazines. So offering them some more services, probably a good thing. Yes, uh, I was interesting. I was looking at um, 
Apple, the new Apple podcasts announcements uh, from uh, from Cupertino the other week, uh, they've got something similar as well. So if you're a subscriber to an app or a service, so they give the example like Calm, if you may be a, a subscriber to that, um, if Calm create a podcast, it will automatically appear in your in your Apple podcasts um, app too. So I mean, everyone linking up these subscriptions mm. seems to be something that everyone's very keen yeah. to do who owns those journeys becomes quite important it's you know the creation of media universes isn't it mm. and, and which one you decide to but it's belong of, to is uh, i guess is you know that that's the aim isn't it? you want to get as many people to your universe as possible but then is, is it sort of saying a bit like we're seeing in tv people are maybe a little more porous than they used to be uh they don't mind doing bits of swaps or bits of deals with each other definitely well in terms of the businesses and the way that they yeah they're, they're, i think i think well, we were talking about bringing down wall gardens, weren't mm. we, earlier? And I think this is very much in the same territory. So it's just time for the media quiz. This week, it's entitled On or Off. Uh, I'll name a company or media brand. You tell me if this week they are on or off. No further explanation has been given by the producers of the quiz. Uh, here we go. <laughs> so buzz in with your names if you know the answer. So Charlotte will say... Charlotte. And Jake will say... Jake. Here we go. Question number one. Journalists at German newspaper Bild... Charlotte. Charlotte. Off or on? Off. It is off. Do we know why it's off? So like over 100 redundancies, various editorial roles. And there's um, it's been reported as sort of suggesting that they're going to replace a lot of at least the editor sort of roles. You know, not obviously the top editor, but Mm. people in editing roles um, with AI. I'm not sure how much... um, There'll be a a few AI journalists rather than it's going to take over the whole paper nowadays like everyone's so panicked about ai taking journalist jobs it makes sense that like um even if they're making lots of redundancies and just doing a little bit with ai that people would panic and link Mm. all of it like so i don't you know they're not replacing over 100 jobs with ai but um either way it's not great obviously because regardless of the ai section of the news over 100 redundancies isn't great and mm. and is a worrying sign for like such a major newspaper. And it's sort of a modern way of saying kind of automation and the rise of digital technology is is doing some of those jobs. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean generative AI as mm. people panic about, but yeah, as you say some of the automated tasks that um we, we don't need to faff about with all the time anymore. Okay, question number 2. On or off gold radio. Jake. Jake. This is off i think it is off yes what have they been turning off are they turning off am uh, they are so they're turning off some am right this is uh, global's gold radio yeah. uh, they're turning off am transmitters in peterborough cambridge derby nottingham and northampton uh, taking those versions of that station being digital only uh, but they're leaving london and manchester uh, still broadcasting on am as well um, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And there's not that many people listening to music radio. Well, you on tell AM me, man. How many are listening to well, AM on there in aren't London? that many people listening to music radio on <laughs> AM anymore. Also, one of the things is the AM transmitters take up quite a lot of space, and a lot of developers uh, are basically buying the space to build houses and do right. things. So, whether they want to turn these things off or not, quite often landlords uh, are saying, "We want you gone because we're going to put some houses <laughs> in what was previously like green belt site, and now we're going to uh, sort of." bulldoze yeah right? um but it saves a lot of money uh, am is expensive because of electricity it requires quite a lot of electricity uh, and electricity is still quite an expensive thing to do and if you've got no listeners not not a bad choice uh, right question number three so one apiece so far so this for the win off or on 
Reddit. Charlotte. Oh, <laughs> a quake from Charlotte there. Uh Yes, I, I am a Reddit user, so I'm mm. quite into this story. But there's basically a major row over the access to third-party APIs. And this would affect, yeah, third-party apps, which a lot of people like to use Reddit for. And therefore, some of the major subreddits went dark and private. And even um, what I found fascinating was um, a lot of people now Google like questions with reddit at the end because they know that people provide useful answers on reddit but if you've been doing that over the past couple of weeks and me and my husband have both done this separately you find something in google that you think oh that gives me the answer and then you click through and the subreddit's private at the moment Mm. so you can't get the answer you want so off or on oh sorry (laughs) got too excited off, off, yeah. <laughs> but but what is on mm. is pictures of John Oliver. On yes. <laughs> so this is on some of the, the subreddits, so like the GIF subreddits, GIFs and, and pictures are two big big ones. I think yeah, they've said they're back, but they're only allowing pictures of John Oliver. And he's into it, and it's very good fun. <laughs> uh, so I think they partly picked him because of uh, him being supportive of the WGA protests. Uh, and obviously he's over the moon, and he's been tweeting in support uh, of this. I mean, it's quite interesting with Reddit. Are you a Reddit user, Jake? I'm not, and I don't really understand Reddit, and I'm ashamed to say that because I can imagine it's quite a good journalism tool. Well, it's probably quite yeah. a good question for, for yeah. people listening at home are probably in, in the same place. It's a bit like a big discussion forum with just lots of different topics that you can you can join in on. But, I mean, I, I, I'm a Reddit user as well. Well, and I was reading some of the, the mods. So basically volunteers, a bit like Wikipedia, volunteers run certain um, of these subreddits of these sections. Uh, and they're obviously very grumpy about some of the changes Reddit have made, particularly over blocking some apps and just being a bit more closed. Um, and these are things which they use themselves. They think it's it's sort of against the community. And and these mods are volunteers that do, do a lot of work for them. But some of the mods were saying, maybe we, we'll move to Discord or, or, or go elsewhere. And I sort of thought, well, you can, but part of the reason these things are so successful, Reddit's so successful, is it, as you said, Charlotte, you know, it appears in search, it brings in new people. People don't sort of subscribe to the you know, UK mortgage subreddit, um, and they won't want to join a Discord about it, but they want to click through from from Google to there. It it's interesting that it's coming at the same time as the changes to Twitter and people wondering about leaving Twitter, and and also um, Elon Musk blocking API access mm. because some people were also going to like Discord from that, and so um, it does make it kind of feels like if that happens, it's going to be a move from of social media into more private spaces, as you say. And um, I think that's a real shame at the moment. The fact that it's all open and, yeah, you can dip into different subreddits. You don't have to commit and and actively be a part of the community or or have all these that you're permanently on. Um, so I think it would be a real shame, yeah. And I think also the sad thing for some of these mods who have, have built these these great um, these sort of great subreddits, they can easily just be replaced with some other people, yeah. uh, and that's you know fundamentally Reddit controls the keys to their website and they can do that if, if they need to be. Uh, so well, well done, Charlotte. You win. Uh, you get to create a subreddit for the media podcast uh, and be the mod uh, and uh, allow all photos, not just ones of John Oliver. Um, uh, thanks to both Jake and Charlotte today. Uh, Jake, where can people keep up with your work? I'm on Twitter at Jake underscore Cantor and, uh, you know, Deadline is free to access and full of great content. Uh, And Charlotte? Pressgazette.co.uk, also free to access. Uh, We've got our own podcast, interview podcast, um, Future of Media Explained, and I'm on Twitter at Charlotte Tobit. And you get that podcast wherever you're listening to this one. Uh, Thank you both. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for joining us today at the London Podcast Studios, the perfect place to record your next podcast, complete with a full 4K rig, and yes, some very top-end microphones too. Uh, just head to thelondonpodcaststudios.com. That's thelondonpodcaststudios.com. And there's also a link in the show notes. Also there, you'll find a subscribe link to the show. That's podfollow.com slash themediapodcast, uh, which you can also share with your colleagues. Don't make us your little secrets. Tell the world on your Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. The producer is Matt Hill with support from Laura Elwood Craig. It was a Rethink Audio production and I'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.